todo el mundo. Was really... 1881. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film The Ventures Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. Today's guest is an outstanding, talented, fine artist and film poster designer, Aaron Kai. Uh, He also happens to be my boyfriend, but there's no nepotism here. I'd have him on the show anyway. Uh, Aaron specializes in hyper-realistic paintings and the celebrity collectors and owners of his artwork include Clint Eastwood, Ridley Scott, Harrison Ford, Sean Young, and the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. So welcome to the show, Aaron. Hey, babe, I mean, Hi, Stacy. Nice to be here. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, so let's not keep everyone in suspense. What is your connection to the Who's Pete Townsend? Uh, well, the, the Who's connection is uh, back in 1993, I became the New York pinball champion. Uh, I was, I've always been an avid pinball player since I was a kid. And uh, I happened to win. That was actually February the 14th. It was Valentine's Day. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I was $1,000 richer and I got this huge trophy and I, and, uh, and I got a lot of nice accolades as far as um, uh, publicity. And one of the things was uh, the Who's Tommy was opening on Broadway and they had asked me if I would play with the cast and crew at the St. James Theater in New York, where the, obviously the play was uh, playing, and then they called me the night before because it was it was live on Good Day New York, and said, "Well, we can't get a signal there, so we have to do it in the middle of Times Square." Now this was it was freezing. I was like 20 degrees in the middle of Times Square, and I'm there playing with um with the cast of uh, of the Who's Tommy, the Broadway play, and it was uh but it was an experience. It was um it's on YouTube actually, and then oh wow okay. Yeah, and then uh, they they gave me, you know, I got to go to to the play, and uh, I got to go twice actually, and they put my names in the playbill right under Roger Daltrey under special special thanks. And, oh, uh, nice! And then Pete Townsend, did he make an appearance? Yes, yes. At the at the when I went to see it, he uh, it was it was actually 
uh, he was there. No one knew he was there. He came out at the end and they gave him flowers because the play was going also to, to London. They were touring to London. And so when he came out, we were all like, oh my God. And it was, uh, it was quite a moment. I'm sitting there in the, the audience with my playbill and I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool. So the movie <laughs> came out in the 70s. Came, Do you yeah, remember the seeing the film for the first time? What was that like? Oh my God, yeah, I remember I saw it at the, I have very good recall as far as where I saw movies. I saw it at the Rawway Theater in New Jersey with Godspell, it was a double feature. And went with my buddies and they had no idea what I was, we were going to see. I knew it was about pinball, so that's why I was like, you know, I, I'm all in. And uh, I remember it being trippy. I remember the whole being, being in mud scene with Anne Margaret. We, we were all, <laughs> oh my God, the hell is this? But the, the pinball, uh, scene with him and Elton John, I was just like, it just made me love pinballing even more the way Ken Russell edited and sped it up and, and the, the, the audience, you know, singing, it was, it was just so cool. And then I was so shot out over pinball after that, that I went and got a poster of that scene from the Who's Timing with Pete Townsend, Roger Daltrey and Elton John on big boots and I hung it in my bedroom. You know, pinball and, and rock and roll have a long um, and happy alliance, and so do horror movies and pinball. So, do you have a favorite um, horror and rock and roll pinball machine? Oh yeah, I have uh, several. Uh, uh, one of my one of my favorites, as far as horror, is Elvira's Scared Stiff. I mean, who doesn't love Elvira? Yeah. Um, she and when I met her, Cassandra Peterson, I told her, I, said, I love your pinball machine, and she goes. That was better than getting an Oscar. And uh, uh, yeah, and the, the, um, uh, the, cause there's so many rock and roll pinball machines. It's something how it goes hand in hand with it. They have uh, Alice Cooper, they have um, Rolling Stone has, Rolling Stones have several. The first, the first one was Ted Nugent, I, I believe. And then it was uh, um, Guns N' Roses. And uh, yeah, but I like the new, the latest Guns N' Roses one is really kick ass. That's one I want to own. It's a, uh, I played it back in New Jersey. It's um, it's a limited edition. It's just, it plays all the songs. Slash oversaw the design and uh, the, gave all the licensing and just told Jersey Jack Pinball just go crazy, just make whatever you want, and it really kicks ass. And uh, and Monster Bash because that has all the Universal monsters. So those are three pinball machines and rock and roll and hard I, that I dig. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people may not know, or some people may not. But now that her autobiography is out. Um, Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, she loves rock music too. So it's kind of a cool, like how that all mixes in with her pinball machine too. Yeah, it all just goes together. It's, it's just a whole culture of rock and roll and horror. And, and it's about being bad, you know, playing pinball back in the day and going to a, you know, going to an arcade or, you know, guys are smoking cigarettes, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was edgy. <laughs> you well, it wasn't pinball actually against the law in some, in some states? Yeah, Mayor LaGuardia had outlawed it back in, oh God, I believe it was the, the 1950s or 40s, and huh. it was close to do with gambling and, and the mob and racketeering, and I remember going to, to Canada, Montreal, I was 14, uh, and you had to be at least 18 years old to go play pinball. So I would duck into the arcades and play until they kicked me out because they wanted an idea. I was like, this is so silly. And then, and now it's become, it's, it's huge. I went to a tournament in, in Banning and I hadn't competed in years and I found out, okay, I'm older now. These, these new young players are just like, they're just killing it. It's like, you know, getting a billion points was a big thing. Now they get like 
10 billion. I mean, like way more, 50 billion, whatever. It's just really, and the machines have become more advanced. They're, you know, everything must evolve. And so they're faster and they're, you know, they, 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 the screens are bigger. And in fact, Elvira's latest one, it's her, like she's, you know, they took video of her and she's like, oh, shoot the ball and get the junk in my trunk and all this, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's all, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's still fun. It's still great. Uh, well, as I mentioned in the intro that you are a painter, uh, hyper-realistic painting is what you do. So um, who are some of your biggest influences or inspirations, um, you know, from when you got started and, and now? Yeah, well, back in the day, it was always uh, Frank Frazetta. He, and in fact, he did a lot of uh, album covers. Well, he didn't do them. They, a lot of uh, certain bands used his artwork uh, for album covers like Molly Hatchet and Yes. And uh, yeah, he was a big, well, I always tell people I have four Franks, Frank Frazetta, uh, Frank McCarthy, who did a lot of movie posters. He did, um, uh, he did James Bond, You Only Look Twice. And, uh, and Frank Miller, who does Sin City, I mean, he's just a brilliant artist because he's just simple, but his work is just so powerful. And my high school art teacher, Frank Gubernat, who uh, just took my art to a whole nother level when, when he became my teacher. And uh, uh, he's the Mick to my Rocky, uh, just, uh, just a, a brilliant guy. And, um, uh, and, and yeah, just, just a lot of, uh, like just, just a lot of, Renaissance artists from the 60s, pulp artist uh, Robert McInnes, who also did a lot of movie posters in the 70s. He did uh, he did uh, Three the Hard Way, uh, you know, a very very cool black exploitation film. Uh, yeah, just just all the fine uh, fine artists of movie posters. John John Berkey, he did The Towering Inferno uh, and Orca the Killer Whale, and and a lot of these artists didn't have a reference. A lot of them had just had to do it out of their heads, and it's, they were just brilliant. Some had photos and, and some, uh, uh, one of the coolest stories I heard was, uh, was, was um, Drew Struzan, who I'm sure a lot of people know, did a lot of posters in the 80s and 90s. Uh, they called him up and said, we need you to do The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. And they said, and that's it. They didn't give him a script. They didn't give him any photos. And he just came up with this iconic Im image of the exploding uh, figure with the, with the light coming out of the parka and just became iconic. In fact, um, uh, Nick Nicolau, um, who owns uh, two of my originals over in Australia, he has the original thing, uh, artwork from Drew Struzan. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's really a challenge. And, and, I, and when I do my artwork, when I did, I did a Scarface, my painted Scarface, I didn't have a lot of photos. So I paused the VHS, I had the VHS tape, no DVD. Can and you explain what a VHS tape is for our <laughs> viewers? <laughs> a VHS player was it was uh, VCR tapes of the 1980s, and uh, and and so I rented the tape and I paused it, and it only stayed paused for five minutes. So I sat in front of the TV with the illustration board balancing on my lap and painted the world as yours globe just to get a certain shot, and it would stay paused five minutes, and then it would it would you know unpause, and I had to rewind it, pause it again. I think I, I did it about 70 times until I just, yeah, it was, you know, that was all we had. And, and so, you know, when you're an artist, you know, if you don't know what you're missing, you just work with what you have. And it actually becomes, it's, it's challenging, but when you, when you look at your work, like when I look at my work and I go, oh my God, how did I do that? But you find a way because the passion, when you have the passion, you find a way. And I know that may sound cliche, but oh, the passion, I'm like, no, if you have, 
the passion which I have with movie art. I mean, I listen to movies while I paint. Most people listen to music. I listen to movies. I'll recite Scarface word for word or, or Bullet or any of my favorite movies. It just puts me in that zone. So. Yeah, I can attest to that. <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> now, can, can you name some of the best um, hand-painted movie posters and album covers that you like and kind of like what makes them more special and say it's something that would have been photographed, which is really more common, especially with album covers? Yeah, well, well, they just seem to have more, just show more emotion. I mean, especially when you see it in the, uh, in the, in the brushstrokes. Um, uh, there was um, uh, this, well, the first poster I was taken by was Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon. I was, I was, uh, I think I was like 11 years old and I walked into, I was in the lobby and was in a coming soon frame and it just stopped me in my tracks and I just looked at it and just couldn't take my eyes off it. And I said, that's what I want to do. I said, like someone got paid to do that. And I, I was just, and I went home and cut I ran home and cut up the newspaper ads of all the Bruce Lee movies, the action movies, a lot of martial arts movies, Five Fingers of Death, uh, James Bond movies, and just redraw them, gave them my own spin. And, and it just went from there. So there was like, there was so many. Uh, um, Family of Paradise, that, that's a cool poster too. Uh, that's done by, by, uh, by Neil Adams, who's a legendary artist in, um, in Marvel and DC. But it was, it was designed by him, but it was, it was painted by Richard, Cor Richard Corbin another legendary artist. And he, he actually, it, it almost stands up, stems over to rock and roll because he did Meat Loaf's Bad Out of Hell album. Mm, so, so the artwork like on album covers and movie posters was just, it was, it was the seventies and it was party era, but it's just something about, you know, it's almost like not to disrespect photography, you know, by, by all means, but, but when it's, when it's a painting, that's just a, uh, that's put together with a collage format. Like, like one of my, one of my um, uh, favorites is, uh, I mean, it's not rock and roll, but the, another one was Moonraker. It came out and it was um, done by this guy, Dan Jose. And I actually know uh, this gentleman named Thomas Nixdorf who has the original painting. I used to redraw that when I was a kid. And it's just, just seeing the, just seeing the, the brushstrokes and, and, and the, uh, the artwork was just, just really really something but uh but yeah frank frank Vizetta, he he was he did they used his work for molly hatchet and this other group called nazareth and they had an album called expect expect no mercy and uh it was one of his paintings and uh but uh oh my god what else uh but this this posters that overseas that are just as good as a domestic poster like uh i love um uh Dressed to Kill, Brian De Palma. I mean, I, I like I like the the original poster, the U.S. version, but there's a poster in Thailand that's painted. It's part painted and part photograph, but it's just really, really cool. And uh, and Blowout, that another, I, I believe it's an international poster, and that's and that's a painting. And it's just it just there's something about it just gives it a just more of a fine quality of nostalgic of that time where things were just just done with art, just done with pure paintbrush. I love it. Yeah, well, I mean, Brian De Palma is one of my favorite filmmakers, and I feel like his posters seem like they're curated by him because he obviously curated his films. Do you know if he had a hand in his in the poster art or how 
you know? Uh, yeah, I think I think he did. Well, you know how it is with with uh, you know with the marketers and and the producers, and they say every everyone down to an actor's nephew could have a say and go, I don't know, <laughs> right. my my uncle looks in that shot, and it's okay. We got to go. We got to change it because little Timmy doesn't like how Stallone looks there or whatever. And um, and yeah, sometimes the director says, well, no, I just I don't want to show a lot. I just want to show one shot and. And uh, it's funny, speaking to Palmer, that shot in Dress to Kill, the poster where it's it's a uh, it's a woman's legs, I guess you know Nancy Allen or or Angie Dickinson, and it's got the you know the killer in the background who is is, is you know Bobby and uh, yeah, that's and, kind of like that James Bond poster a little bit, you know, the legs and the and the, the person and for your eyes only, absolutely, yeah. it was mm -hmm. also painted that that yeah. was painted, and overseas they in London they put hot pants on the legs because it was. Too <laughs> You know, too controversial, but the um, but getting back to uh, dress to kill, they said uh, the, the killer was actually I think a, a janitor that was working there that night, and they asked him in the studio, and they asked him here, put this hat on and put this uh, glove on, and uh, something I, I made. I'm just paraphrasing, but the um, but it was actually shot by the same artist, the same art director, photographer who did the poster for uh, Miss Forty Five, and. The exterminator well speaking of film there is a documentary film being made about your life so can you tell us about that and got to sure. ask will you be designing the poster <laughs> oh yeah I, I you know it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be right to have to have the poster just no I, I i'm definitely designing the poster and i actually been playing around with some ideas uh but yes i i met um i met this filmmaker his name is philip wayne stevens and I happened to meet him at a rap party that he was having uh, at his house when he lived in LA. And, and he, you know, that old question, what do you do? You know, and because I came, he's like, who's this guy coming up in here? And I said, well, I paint the movies. He's like, what do you mean you paint the movies? I was like, no, I hand paint the movies. And hey, do you have a website? And I, I show him my website and his mouth drops. And he's like, how come I've never heard of you? I'm like, well, you know, it's a, uh, you know, you know, like artists and actors, you know, we're out here trying to, to, and so I tell him my life story on how I got to LA. And he says, I got to make a movie about you. This is really, it's, it's better than fiction. This is really, so it's really a story of my journey to, from Jersey, small town in New Jersey to, to Hollywood to do movie posters and, and, and along the way of, uh, you know, the good, the bad and the, and the you know the the blood the sweat and the tears you know it's it's uh it's it's like like a lot of our journeys you know it's not a straight arrow just you know uh, everything's you know all rosy but no it's a it's a it's it's I hate I don't want to use the word struggle but it's a challenge but you keep going because if you want something so bad and the passion and so uh, so yeah it's basically about the journey about never giving up and there's a little inside story that I. I can't, <laughs> I don't want to elaborate and spoil it, but. Does the movie have a title now? Yes, it, well, originally it was Stroke the Art of Kai, uh, but, but now it's impossible art because he's, the director said, no one believes my work is painted because it got, my, my Blade Runner painting got disqualified from a national competition uh, because they thought it was a photograph. And um, ironically, it led to when I moved to Los Angeles it, they used it for the, they featured it with the 25th anniversary celebration of Blade Runner, the final cut. 
and that was a, that was a great night. And um, so yeah, it's it's impossible art, impossible uh, culinary, like like Mission Impossible, because people <laughs> right. in my work they're like they're like that's not a painting. You didn't paint that. I get that all the time. So it's it's like Spider Man. It's it's my gift and my curse, but I look at it as a gift. Yeah, you do get that a lot. People, I will show them your artwork or even a, a drawing and they'll think it's a black and white photograph. They're like, no, that's not a drawing. That's not a painting. Um, how did you develop that hyper-realistic style? Was that through your art teacher or was that just something you were always drawn to rather than, than doing, say, like a, a looser style or more caricatures? I mean, your, your artwork is just so realistic. Oh, thank you. Uh, no, that was something I I developed like ever since I was I was little. Anyone in my family could tell you I would just the, just always trying to be a perfectionist with my art. And it started with drawing that Bruce Lee the poster for Enter the Dragon. I remember just just doing it over and over and over again. I remember my mother coming into the kitchen. You know, as a kid, didn't have a drawing table, so I'm at the kitchen table. And she's getting ready to go out to a PTA meeting or whatever. And, you know, says, okay, I'll see you kids later. And she looks at, Aaron, you drawing that Bruce Lee? You drawing him again? Didn't you just, I said, yeah, he's, he, I didn't like the way he came out. He's not right. And I would do the whole thing over and over again. I was just such a stickler still am for, for detail. In fact, that's the, that's one of the log lines uh, for my documentary that life is in the details. And, uh, you know, I say, yeah, it sounds better than the devil's in the details, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah. Because, well, that might be more of a rock and roll nightmare, though. That's a rock and roll nightmare, <laughs> yeah. yeah. but, uh, hey, you got to use that. You got to write that down. You got to Milton Berle that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. What is the most memorable concert you ever attended? You know, I, I, I regret not seeing Prince or Michael Jackson in concert, but uh, the most memorable one was one of my first. It was Parliament Funkadelic at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. And uh, it was my friend's father took us. So we, we, you know, we, everybody in there smoking weed, and we couldn't smoke. We were, we're leaning over the 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 the, uh, the seats, trying to get a contact from the people in front of us. <laughs> How old were you? Oh God, I'm showing my age. Uh, I was, I was, oh God, I think I was 15, uh -huh. something like that. And uh, and and the, it, but it was it was Uncle Jam wants you. That was the album that dropped. And it was just really phenomenal. The mothership came down and we're all thinking that this is a real spaceship coming down and smoke and, 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 and at the end of the concert, everyone, we were in the balcony, but everyone on the, on the main level was on the stage dancing with Pong and Funkadelic. And we're like, P-Funk, P-Funk. It was just, and then fast forward to LA, I'm in, um, I'm at the Carson Daly show. I'm in the green room with George Clinton and, and he, He's from Plainfield, New Jersey, which was only about 15 minutes from where I grew up. And so, so I, you know, I meet him and I'm talking with him and, uh, and I say, yeah, I said, I'm from, I'm from Colonia. So he goes, oh, you right down, right on Wood Avenue? Yeah, man. And he's like, oh my God, man, that's cool. And I, and I said, yeah, I saw you at the, at the, at the, uh, at the Uncle Jam Once You tour at the, uh, at the Apollo. Oh man, that was a long time ago, man. Man, you know, really, man. It was so, it was so like, yeah, that was my most memorable one. Ah, that does sound memorable. So I guess you didn't get that contact high since you do remember it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, know, I didn't. I, I didn't inhale. I didn't inhale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, this is the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. So, of course, before I let you go, I have to ask you, what is your rock and roll nightmare? That would be probably. And I used to like this song, but I just grown to hate it because they just played it to it. It me stuck in an elevator uh, while they're playing Hotel California for like hours. I oh. <laughs> You're like the, the big Lebowski. He hates the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I like the Eagles, but when I moved to LA, it was like, like every, every day they just play a song. Just, I, I would hear it like, you know, you, you know how the traffic is there. So you're stuck yeah. in traffic and you'll hear it about, about three times within an hour on the same station. And I'm like, really? Now, now California by Snoop Dogg and Dre, that's a different story. Yeah, that is a different story. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. Uh, so where can people find you online and where can they buy your artwork? Okay, you can go to my website, which is Aaron Kai Arts, A-A-R-O-N-K-A-I-Arts.com, AaronKaiArt.com, and you can you can uh, you can own originals, limited edition prints, chiclets, and all signed by me, signed and numbered. And and I am on uh, Instagram at Aaron Kai Art and on Facebook, Aaron Kai. And I am the Aaron Kai that does movie posters, movie art. There's two Aaron Kais, but I'm the Aaron Kai because I was on this earth longer than the other Aaron Kai. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Well, thank you, baby, or Aaron. <laughs> As always, before I close the show, I'm going to share a paragraph from one of the Rock and Roll Nightmares books. This is an excerpt from the nonfiction edition, and the chapter is Highway to Hell. Do you know about the strangely cursed day on the calendar for rock stars? December 8th is the date John Lennon was shot by assassin Mark David Chapman. The bassist of Uriah Heep, Gary Thane, died, and so did singer Marty Robbins. Pantera guitarist Dimebag Darrell was murdered on stage by a gun-toting audience member. And it's the day Motley Crue frontman Vince Neil wrecked his car in 1984, killing passenger and Hanoi Rocks drummer Nicholas Razzle Dingley. The wreck went down in Redondo Beach, California, a laid-back town just a few miles from downtown LA where Neil was living at the time. It was also the time that Hanoi Rocks, a band from Finland, went to Tinseltown for their first tour. Motley Crue was showing the new guys around town and partying it up. Vince, already sloshed from a three-day bender, made a liquor store run from his house with Razzle riding shotgun in a sleek, coffin-shaped red sports car. It was the Too Fast for Love singer's prize 1972 Pantera, which means panther in Italian. The guys made it to the store and left with a couple hundred dollars of beer and booze. Vince's blood alcohol level soared into the stratosphere at twice the legal limit.
This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Nightmares Books. That's B O O K S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time. <laughs>